you please. This is a piece of art. This Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. What to do with body to conceal his own anger? Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Can I graduate? Hello and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus, and first and foremost, what I want to do is just take a second to thank J. David Weeder, but you can call him Dave, for suggesting this song to be this week's I guess, theme song. As obvious as it might have been to other people, it would never in a million years have ever occurred to me to use this song in relation to Nightwing. So, once again, thank you very much, J. David Weeder, but I can call you Dave. I really appreciate you making this this recommendation. So, if it hadn't been for you, I truly don't know what I would have done for a song this week. So... Thank you very much. Now, to get into, I guess, this week's show, what I do is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But lately what I've been doing is going through a mini-series that's dedicated to Batgirl and Robin. Or perhaps more specifically, it's dedicated to Babs and Dick. And they're... Honestly, just how epic their story is, and I never really knew all that much about it until, at this point, it was several months ago, when I started doing a Batman reading project, and I stumbled across, like I say, just this really fucking epic story between Babs and Dick that I never even knew existed because of the fact that I kind of tuned out of Batman comics after a certain point, and so... Things like, again, uh, Dick and Babs's uh, relationship, they were actually totally new to me. So, and uh, having actually read it, and it wasn't uh, a major storyline that went through all the books at all, uh, at all times, but it was sprinkled here and there throughout various issues and... I just found this story to be very captivating. So that's really the purpose of this mini-series that I'm going through right now. It's all about Dick and Babs. Now, yes, 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 I did think about calling this series Barbara Loves Dick, but something, something, poor taste is how that seemed. So in any case, <clears throat> to get into um, this week's comics, uh, basically, we're actually coming really t- close to the end of this mini-series. And a crucial part of all of this is the storyline Nightwing Year One, which ran from Nightwing number 101 to Nightwing number 106. It's a six-part story. And this is a... I think maybe the best way to put it is that this is kind of the story of how it is that Dick ever managed to make the transition from Robin to the man that we knew as Nightwing and what were then modern comics. Now, at this point, we're talking about comics that are 
uh, over 10 years old, really. So, but to me, this is the more relevant, I guess, uh, iteration of uh, Nightwing and Dick Grayson than this new shit that's coming out these days. So that's how I choose to look at it. And so there you have it. Now, as I say, to get into Nightwing uh, number 101, summary is as follows. Robin, trying to juggle the Titans, college, and a personal life, is late to an assignment with the Batman. He's able to get rid of Clayface and help his partner save an infant. But they fight over his ability to respond to the bat signal in time, which allows Clayface to escape. Robin chases him back down into the sewers and stops him. Back at the Batcave, Alfred welcomes Dick back home, so Batman sends Alfred away because he and his partner need to have a talk. Due to Dick's inability to give 100% to Batman's war, quote-unquote, Batman fires him and orders him to leave behind the brand new costume that Alfred has just made for him. To be continued. Now, this story, just as it as it moves along, I think it actually is made very clear to uh, it's made very clear that this is a a uh, sequel to some of the other comics that I've that I've talked about. I think maybe most specifically, Robin Annual Number Four, and uh, we'll get more into that as we as we go through the issue, but. Uh, from the outset, I just want it to be understood that, as usual, Chuck Dixon's writing is pretty much the gold standard of not to be fucked with. This is an amazingly well-written storyline, and I think that's going to become very clear as the story goes on. But even if it wasn't, and it is, but even if it wasn't, my contention is that I'd still be able to really enjoy this this uh, story, these issues, because of the fact that art is being done by Scott McDaniel. Now, everybody has, well, I say a favorite Batman artist. Most people have four or five or six or seven favorite Batman artists. And that's fine, but I've noticed that a lot of people don't really seem to have a favorite Nightwing artist. But to me... Honestly, all roads lead from and then lead back to Scott McDaniel. There are very few artists in the in the business that can do what McDaniel does the way he does it. You know, with all of the, uh, all of all of these perspectives and and crazy angles and just these really busy um, uh, panel arrangements and everything. Nobody does it the way Scott McDaniel does. And so just throughout all of these issues, you better get ready to uh, to listen to me uh, gush all over McDaniel's heart because this is some, I mean, I I already think he's probably the best Nightwing artist there ever was, but even by that standard, he does some amazing work in, in these issues, in my opinion. So anyway, but uh, the issue starts basically uh, right here with, uh, on page one, right here with uh, Dick, he's speeding along on his little snowmobile-looking thing. And he's basically recording a message to Bruce, is basically what this comes down to. He's, there's an, this at first seems like it's an internal monologue, but eventually what you realize is Dick is talking to Bruce, and he's basically laying out 
I guess, the history of things as he, Dick, sees it. And he says, both of us knew this was inevitable. With college, with the Teen Titans, with what little life I had on my own. With all that, I had to be late the one time I was really needed. And from there, as Dick crashes his snowmobile into Clayface, we get a little bit of a backstory, or at least a hint of it, as to what exactly is going on. Now, it's not going to get fleshed out in more detail until later on in the issue, but from the outset, what you know is that Robin has kind of left Batman to fend for himself for at least a little while. And that's really the the major catalyst of all of the conflict between Batman and Robin in this issue. But before we get into that, there is Clayface to deal with. And this is a very Bruce Tim-inspired Clayface. If you remember Clayface's design from Batman the Animated Series when it was on the Fox Network, as opposed to Kids WB, this is a very similar Clayface uh, to that version. So, again, at least as far as his aesthetic is is concerned. So, from there you have a... I can't even really call it a battle. It's basically Robin snookering Clayface. And this is one of the things that has always made Robin work for me. I mean, it's it's always been a little bit hard for me to buy into the idea of a 12-year-old kid beating up a full-grown adult man. So because of that, Chuck Dixon usually remembers to have Dick Grayson, or whoever he's writing as Robin, use his head. You know, rather than fighting harder, he fights smarter. And in this case, what Robin does is he runs out into the snowy, frozen tundra, pursued by uh, Clayface, and then he just lets Clayface freeze and turn into permafrost. That's how he wins. He doesn't win by, I guess, out-muscling Clayface. He out-thinks Clayface. He outsmarts Clayface, and that's why he's able to come out on top. And throughout this whole thing, he's got this very smart-ass, very Dick Grayson type of grin that to me is, it just epitomizes everything that Dick Grayson, as Robin, and arguably as Nightwing needs to be. He needs to be just a little bit of a smartass. You know, I don't necessarily need him to be written the same way as Spider-Man, although that's not a bad model to follow. But I guess if a character like Robin, he needs to be justified somehow in the narrative. And so if it's just another perspective for Batman when he investigates crimes, if it's an extra set of hands whenever he goes into battle, just whatever it is that he's doing, you, you need to have some kind of a justif- uh, justification for Robin's presence. And especially when it comes to Dick Grayson, it seems like Chuck Dixon doesn't... He never forgets that, is what I'm saying. So all of this, it plays into what I like seeing from Dick Grayson as Robin. So after that, <clears throat> Batman comes on the scene holding the the infant and pretty much doesn't even want to talk about why it is that Robin's late. His attitude is basically shut up, we're on assignment here. So 
From there, though, what we get is a little bit of a flashback to the death of uh, the Grayson parents at Haley's Circus. And it's kind of a montage of Dick Grayson's origins and his training as Robin. And the common denominator throughout all of, uh, all of these things, whether it's uh, mourning his parents or uh, target practice with batarangs, his acrobat skills, his martial arts skills, the common denominator in every single one of these things is always Bruce saying, do it better, do it better, do it better. And it, I, I guess this is just one of those things that I hadn't really thought very much about before sitting down to read these comics, but there is a sense in which, you know, that affected Dick. You know, I mean... That kind of, from an emotional standpoint, just kind of rubbed him raw over the years. You know, that never was he ever, or rarely at least, was he ever congratulated for a job well done. He was always told, do it better, do it faster, do it more often. And eventually that's, that's going to create conflicts in the relationship. And Dick even gets a little bit defensive about it. He says, look, when I got home and saw the signal... I came running. It's not like I did this on purpose. And, you know, basically his attitude is, what the fuck is a problem here? Bruce's angle is that you should have been here from the start. So, in any case, they're sitting there bickering with each other, which allows uh, Clayface, or at least Hagen, uh, Matt Hagen, to escape from uh, this shell of mud and dirt that had frozen around him. He's pointing a gun at Batman which he fires and the gun then explodes in his hand because it's been all jammed up from the mud and everything. So Matt Hagen makes a run for it, retreats into the sewer and gets his um, clay face on again, I guess. And Robin chases him. And this is, again, this is Robin fighting smarter. He's not trying to outmuscle Clayface. What he's trying to do is get Clayface to walk right into his trap. And that's pretty much what he does. He basically opens up a pipe, which blasts all the, all the mud off of Matt Hagen and just leaves him well, pretty much naked for Batman to take into custody. After which it comes out that the infant that uh, Clayface was trying to kidnap was actually his own, his own, uh, his own son. So this was basically a, very large scale domestic dispute that Batman and Robin were having to having to settle. So from there, we get back to the Batcave and Alfred presents Robin with a new outfit. And if you're at all familiar with uh I guess the Earth 2 Robin, this outfit's going to look pretty familiar to you and this is again, it's just one of those things that I really enjoy about DC Comics from this era is that you would get these little nods and shout outs to earth two once in a while. And it, it, it's never overblown. It's never obnoxious. It's never too in your face, but it's there and it's always pretty enjoyable. And in this case, what we have is Robin basically it's, I mean, it, look, if you know what it is, you know what it is and it's fine. But if you don't know, you're not really missing anything, but it does, allow a chance for 
I don't know, just a little bit of a wink to Earth 2 is my point. But it's short-lived, though, because the Bat, uh, Batman puts the Batcave on lockdown so that they can have it out. His issue is, this is a war, Dick. Robin is my second, my lieutenant. Anything less than total devotion to this cause is simply wasting my time. And this is an aspect of Batman from, you know, this era of, I guess, his own history that I've always tried. I've never really been able to make up my mind about. I mean, in my mind, Batman didn't really become the kind of driven, obsessive asshole until a little bit later on in life. You know, basically until about the time of Jason Todd. That's when it happened. I don't want to... I don't want that to come off like I kind of regard Bruce Wayne in the early years of being a little bit of a dilettante. I don't mean it like that. I just don't think he took things quite so personal. Now, I think continuity at this point says that Batman kind of has to be written in this way, this kind of dictatorial jackass. So Chuck Dixon's hands might have been tied on this. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if that's actually all that representative of how things really went down. But in any case, Batman's pissed. And I think from his standpoint, what he sees is Dick just not taking this job or this life seriously. And that's not really true, but at the same time, Batman doesn't want to hear Dick's excuses. And what I at least came away thinking from all of this is that it's not that Dick's commitment isn't absolute, because I think it is. Dick is absolutely committed to the war. He's not absolutely committed to Batman anymore. And maybe that's the real issue. I don't know. It's all in how you look at it. Now, excuse me while I get a sip off my Coke here. Mm. Very good. Now, as all that's going on, Alfred's not, uh, he's locked out of the Batcave because, specifically because Bruce knew that he'd try to be referee if he was, uh, if he was down there and able to get in the way. Bruce doesn't want that. So, Bruce basically fires Dick, tells him to get out of the cave and, oh yeah, leave the new uniform behind. And that's pretty much the end of the issue. And that is, I mean, on the one hand, that almost puts Batman in a kind of unsympathetic position because, let's face it, that's kind of a dick thing to do, you know? But I don't know. I'm mean, Whatever. I mean, I've said my piece about it, but throughout all of this, this entire confrontation. Scott McDaniel gives everybody involved a very a very emotional type of facial expression. I mean, Dick is, um, he's defensive, he's upset, he's trying to justify himself all through all of this. And at various points, he, I mean, he really is, he really is hurt over what Bruce is saying. As for Bruce himself, He's determined, but most of all, he's angry. I mean, there's always this air of authority about him 
but on several uh, on several of these uh, pages, and of course they don't number the fucking pages, so I can't really tell you which page it is. But it's uh, at the very top of the page. Alfred's trying the combination on the grandfather clock to get back down into the Batcave with his hamburgers and coffee and stuff. And then at the near the bottom of, uh, or rather near the end of the page, Batman says, "Fine, I'll say it again. You're fired, Dick. Get out of my cave." And he's got this. It's somewhat angry, but it's mostly just driven type of a very authoritative look on his face. And on the one hand, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want this to sound like I'm insulting Scott McDaniel because believe me, I'm not. But to me, his art is more characterized by dynamic layouts and crazy perspectives and all these sorts of things. But it's easy to forget the fact that, you know what? Yes, he is an artist and he can convey human emotion with seemingly no effort whatsoever. So this is just another little reminder to you of just how, how badass an artist he really is. So that is pretty much the end of the issue, which leads us rather neatly into Nightwing number 102. Synopsis is as follows. Dick goes to the Daily Planet office in Metropolis to pay a visit to Clark Kent. He's concerned to hear, he, meaning Clark, is concerned to hear that Batman has fired Robin. Kent disappears when he hears trouble outside. Dick follows him without his outfit. Superman stops a bombing attempt on the presidential motorcade. Dick stops a second bomber with Superman's help. Dick asks Superman for his thoughts and his advice. Superman tells the boy about a Kryptonian superhero cast out of his family called Nightwing. After their conversation, Dick goes back to Haley's Circus. After taking down some thieves trying to make off with the gate receipts, he asks for his job back. The people at Haley's ask him if uh, he minds working with a partner and then introduce him to a trapeze act called Dead Man. In the Batcave, Alfred puts the Robin outfit on display. Batman is not impressed. To be continued. So, as much as I love Scott McDaniel, and I really do enjoy his art, it's, um, on pretty much everything that I've ever seen, that pretty much leaves a, well, kind of an obvious hole, and that is Superman. Look, I'm not trying to insult Scott McDaniel. I would never insult Scott McDaniel. But his Superman work, I've never really been able to warm up to it. And the reason for that is, is uh, it's because I just can't shake the feeling that Scott McDaniel isn't really trying to fit his style to Superman. He's trying to force Superman to fit his style. And that just doesn't work. And... So on the one hand, I don't want to, again, I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm bashing on Scott McDaniel because believe me, I'm not, but I don't think he's the guy you want to go to if you want a, a big, powerful, majestic, you know, John Byrne style Superman. He's just not the guy for that. 
That doesn't make him a bad artist. It just means he's not, his particular skills and his style aren't necessarily geared towards Superman. There's nothing wrong with that. But he's still a badass artist, as is evidenced, I think, on on page one, where you get this big, huge, glory shot of the Daily Planet building. And again, it's very Superman, the animated series, in terms of its inspiration. And there are some doves that are flying across the Daily Planet globe, and it looks like they're being pursued by this kind of flock of bats. So it's as if bats are invading Gotham City. Actually, it's more like bats are invading Metropolis, which we're going to pretend like that's what I said and move right along. So it's as though bats are invading Metropolis. And in the Daily Planet newsroom, you got Dick and he's just there wearing his regular, his uh, regular clothes, you know, his hoodie and his jeans and everything. And he's trying to make his way into a meeting with Clark. And what you get what you get the understanding of before too long is this is a time and place and era in Superman's own story when Lois doesn't know Superman's secret identity. And she's, I don't think there that she's even in any kind of a romantic relationship with Clark at this point. So she's trying to figure out just who Dick Grayson is and why it is that he wants a meeting with Clark Kent, which is kind of a little subplot in in this issue. And as it goes for Clark, he's actually shocked to discover that Bruce has fired Dick. And from there, they just kind of have a conversation that it, it kind of reminds me of just, I guess, the sort of unique nature of Superman's association with Robin and maybe most specifically Clark's association with Dick that they're not really peers as such but I've always gotten the idea that Superman should be able to hang out with Dick Grayson I mean I could never picture Clark and Bruce sitting down and knocking back a couple of beers you know, even when, and, and understand, I mean, I'm of the, more of the, um, the pre-crisis school of thought that says that Superman and Batman really should be friends with each other and not have this bullshit adversarial relationship that they, that writers seem to be addicted to. But they're still different enough that I don't feel like they'd ever be comfortable enough to go out as civilians and hang around at a bar for a couple of hours and just level with one another. But damn it, man. I mean, Clark and Dick, I think would, you know, they would feel comfortable enough about, you know, with each other to talk about just their sort of day-to-day lives, but also just this weird fucked up existence that they've both found themselves thrust into. Because when you think about it, this isn't necessarily a life that either of them chose. It was kind of thrust upon them. And because of that, I always thought that Clark and Dick, of all people in the Batman family, Clark and Dick would be able to, they'd just be able to communicate with one another. And so it's never a surprise to me to find out that they not only can, but this has kind of come to color 
Clark's relationship with all of the Robins, that he has sort of carried this tradition on with, as much as he can anyway, with everyone else called Robin. And I don't know, that works for me. So at the bottom of this page, what we see is Lois Lane getting the getting the goods on Dick Grayson and exactly who he is, which is to say the adopted ward of Bruce Wayne, which again begs the question of why this kid would need to talk to Clark Kent. Well, Lois wants an answer to that, so she barges in and crashes their meeting. But, uh, and Dick, in his haste to invent a reason, you know, why he would want to visit Clark, invents this excuse that he and Clark are both heavily into uh, hockey. So... Not very long after that, though, Superman and I can't even call him Robin, but Dick Grayson in disguise, they both have to swing into action to rescue the president. So, and again, there comes a point when McDaniel, he has this moment where Superman, he's posing, he's got his hands on his hips, you know, he's standing in the sunlight and the wind is flapping his cape all over, all over the place. And... It's supposed to be this big, powerful, majestic, you know, Kurt Swan type of moment. And it's just not. I mean, again, I'm not trying to insult Scott McDaniel. And I'm, I mean, I realize I may be beating that to death, but I'd err on the side of, you know, covering my ass in this case and saying I'm not shit-talking Scott McDaniel. He's just not a Superman artist. And, you know, this is not, to be fair, this is not exactly the most questionable Superman I've ever seen him draw, but it's just not quite to my taste either. So, anyway. <clears throat> so, whatever happens, happens. Dick Grayson manages to grab the bomb. He dives out into midair and is pretty much resigned to the fact that, yeah, I'm probably going to die when Superman swoops to the rescue and uh, takes care of the bomb for him. So, from there... Superman kind of calls him out on this whole hockey thing. You know, hey, look, dude, that's the first thing I thought of. So, <clears throat> I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. And there, from there, again, this is just... Clark and Dick just leveling with one another. And they're talking about, you know, uh, Kryptonian folk heroes and all this sorts of, all this sort of stuff. You know, and this is where the the whole Nightwing name even comes from. And that has always kind of worked for me in that the DC universe is a shared universe. And it stands to reason that the characters are going to influence each other in various ways. It makes sense to me that Superman, intentionally or not, is going to have some kind of influence on, in this case, the Batman family. And he inadvertently gives Dick his new, his new call sign. And I just find that to be very powerful. So, very powerful. And from there, Dick returns to Haley's circus and there's this kind of glory shot of Dick standing 
standing outside of the circus, he's watching the Ferris wheel and all of the amusement park rides, you know, the elephants being led around and all of this sort of stuff, you know, the big tents and everything. And I don't know, it just, there's something that I find to be very believable about Dick using Haley's circus as a, as a kind of refuge. Cause in a weird kind of way, if you think about it, Haley's circus is Dick, I can't really say solitude, but it is Dick Grayson's fortress. It's kind of like, it is to him what the Fortress of Solitude historically has been to Superman. You know, this is the place, the place where he can go and feel normal and just be plain old Dick. He doesn't have to be a superhero or a costumed adventurer or anything like that. He can just be himself. And you know what? Maybe I'm wrong about that, but fuck it. It's my podcast. So, meanwhile, and elsewhere at the Daily Planet, the we get this little bit of a, of a payoff to that cover story that Dick invented with uh, him and Clark both being uh, hockey fans. And Lois quizzes Clark on how the Marauders did in their game last night. And Clark basically comes up with, they lost two to one in sudden death. And and then he, whatever, I'll spray you the rest of his dialogue. Bottom line is he could have, uh, you know, he, 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 this is basically his chance to, I guess, better embellish this bullshit cover story that Dick just invented out of whole cloth. So there you have it. And, this is just one of those things about Superman and Lois, at least in this sort of this junction of their relationship that I like, where Lois is trying to bust Clark's balls, not necessarily prove that he's got a secret identity, but just trying to bust his balls a little bit. And he's always a step ahead of her. And I don't know, that that plays for me. I've always liked that. Meanwhile, back at the Batcave, Batman looks to be a little bit of a bloody mess, and... Alfred finishes, before he starts getting Bruce fixed up, he finishes the display case for the uh, Robin outfit. And when you think about it, it actually makes sense in this case that it would be Alfred that, that set this whole thing up. Number one, there are already shit tons of trophies and whatnot all through the Batcave. But number two, Alfred, I think, would logically view... Dick being fired as the end of an era, and rightly so. And so I think he'd want to commemorate that in his own way. And I don't know. This is just <clears throat> this is just powerful. It plays for me. And that is pretty much the end of the issue, which leads us right into <clears throat> Night <clears throat> Nightwing. Golly, my throat is really dry here. Hold on just a minute while I get another sip off my Coke. And fuck it, I uh, drag off my e-cig too. Mm, that's good. Um, 
the um, the juice that I'm using for my uh, e-cig at the moment. This is kind of a cocktail, actually. It's sort of a mixture of this liquid that tastes an awful lot like grape Kool-Aid. And I've got just a little bit of candy apple mixed into that. And the candy apple flavor is actually, this liquid is actually a little harsh whenever you inhale it. So uh, it's one of those things where a little bit goes a long way. And so, but it does, it is a nice little, I don't know, additive for this uh, grape Kool-Aid flavor. So anyway, just for those of you who are curious, not only what I'm drinking, but what I'm smoking, well, there you have it. Now, as to Nightwing number, number uh, 103, synopsis is as follows. Dick talks to Donna Troy, telling her that he's working things out. He's shown a poster of his father that he's never seen before. The Brand brothers have more or less taken the costume idea as their own, but Dick is pretty sure that he can work with this. He gets a costume, a circus costume, made in a sort of two-tone blue. While practicing his routine, a lion escapes, and Dick, uh, Dick helps uh, keep, it, keep it back while, while it gets tranquilized. Elsewhere, Alfred finds a boy tied up in the Batcave. Batman introduces him as Jason Todd, who's been caught, or rather, who was caught uh, the previous night trying to steal the tires off the Batmobile. Meanwhile, back at the circus, Boston Brand uh, gets into a couple of bodies in the, uh, in the circus and speaks with Dick. Dick decides to return to his former line of work, quote-unquote. Deadman then speaks with Batman to give him an update. Jason surprises Bruce and Alfred by snatching and then putting on Dick's old costume. So, this is about as logical an explanation as, as it's possible with uh, Dick's, Dick's Nightwing outfit, you know? Because when you think about it, I mean, Dick's, Dick's Nightwing outfit is just a little bit, I don't know, garish. I mean, it does, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it does have a kind of disco thing going for it. Um, or at least this version of the costume does. So it does make sense, I think, to sort of... I don't know, basically to kind of give a little bit more of a of a real-world explanation to it. And, you know, that's got to be one of the nice things about writing Dick Grayson is if you ever need an explanation of where his Robin outfit comes from or where his Nightwing outfit comes from, well, he grew up in the circus, so that's a good origin. And that's got, I mean, as a, as a writer, that's got to be very convenient. And so, anyway, and that, that I think is, I don't know, just really creative. So, and that actually leads to a glory shot where we kind of get, I guess, a Nightwing outfit, sort of phase one. And it's, it looks actually sort of like the um, <clears throat> the uh, Batman the Animated Series style uh, Nightwing outfit, except it's got a little bit more of an open chest, and then it's got the pop-up collar and all that. So definitely this is phase one of, of Dick, I guess, 
transforming his look from Robin and transitioning over into Nightwing, or at the very least, into something different. So that plays for me. Now, we do get a little bit of Jason Todd in this story, and it's this is one of those things that I kind of rolled with when I was a kid. You know, Jason Todd as a as a sort of street orphan that Batman recruits into his war on crime. And I just kind of rolled with it. I didn't really think a whole lot about it back then. But this is one of those things that, honestly, it's made less and less sense to me as I've gotten older. And I've never really been able to get my head around why it is that Bruce would want this kid, of all kids, to be part of the team. I've never really been able to come up with an angle on this that, that I don't know, that satisfies me. And I guess what I mean by that is I can buy into the idea that on some level Bruce secretly wanted another Robin. Or hell, he may have even wanted, he may have even regretted his decision and wanted Dick Grayson to come back, but Bruce was too proud to ask Dick to come back, so he just found somebody else. All of those things I can convince myself of. What I cannot convince myself of is that Bruce would f- Bruce would recruit somebody as just fucking unstable as Jason Todd and give him this kind of responsibility, expose him to this type of risk. It's always seemed just kind of reckless to me. And the only way I can think of to kind of rationalize this is Bruce recruited Dick into his war on crime without really knowing Dick at all. And it ended up obviously working out really well for Dick in that he was a very, he was very good at what he did. Dare I say, a natural. But it is possible that Batman thought he would, I don't know, get that lucky again. You know, with, you know, Dick kind of serving as an example of how well this can, this can turn out. Maybe Bruce thought that's how it would always be. I don't know. But anything other than that, I mean, even that's kind of flimsy, but I can at least wrap my mind around that somewhat. I don't know. It's just, end of the day, this is always going to be a kind of a hard thing for me to convince myself of. And, I don't know. It's, I've always thought that it's, I, I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's child endangerment, although I guess from a legal standpoint it probably is, but I don't want to go so far as to say it's child endangerment so much as it's, it's just, it's a character decision that I've never really been able to connect to, and so because of that, I've never really been able to fully accept once I started thinking about it. So, I don't know. Anyway, so moving on from there, and and this kind of takes us closer to the end of the issue, Dick makes the decision that it's, you know, hanging out with Haley Circus and everything, it's fun, he's had a, he's had a ball doing it. It's time for him to get back to work, though. And then from there... He and Deadman finally have a, uh, a a conversation. 
And again, this is this is one of those connections that it's so friggin' obvious. I can't believe that I never. I can't believe that I never thought of it myself. You know, the idea that, you know what? There is a pretty logical connection between Dick Grayson and Dead Man. And you could even retroactively set up the fact that, you know what? Dead Man was a, a circus performer in Haley's Circus himself. So, I don't know. It's an idea. And then from there... This is one of those things that... It's basically Bruce in the Batcave having a conversation with Dead Man too, Basically saying, the kid's doing okay. You don't need to worry about him. He's doing all right. And I like the idea of Batman somewhat keeping tabs on, on Dick. I mean, yeah, he's been fired and relieved of, relieved of duty and everything, but that doesn't mean that Bruce is wholesale given up on him and just doesn't care whether the guy lives or dies. Again, that plays for me. I find that very easy to convince myself of. And that scene ends with Jason Todd trying on Dick Grayson's old Robin outfit, much to the amazement of Alfred. The issue itself ends with Dick basically putting on his circus outfit, the Nightwing Phase 1 outfit, as well as a, a, a brand new mask, and then also what looked like some kind of fucked up wrist gauntlets. But basically wearing his circus outfit and using that as his, as his, uh, to, to form his new identity. So, and that is the end of the issue. Which basically leads us into Nightwing, issue number 104, the synopsis of which is as follows. After seeing the bat signal, Nightwing visits Commissioner Gordon in his new Nightwing outfit. He introduces himself as Nightwing and convinces the commissioner that they do know each other. Afterwards, he takes down a pair of carjackers. When checking the driver, he notices a tied-up person in the back seat. Batgirl also comes to the rescue whenever he... Uh, whenever he's whisked away by the uh, maniac driver. Afterwards, they pick up hamburgers and talk with one another. She said that he should introduce his new self uh, around town. So they visit the Joker in Arkham Asylum, Cobblepot at uh, the Penguin's nightclub, and then also a few other hot spots. Batman's, meanwhile, Batman has installed a tracking device into the new Robin's outfit so that he can see where Jason is at all times. To be continued. So, this is... I guess at this point we're sort of beyond the halfway point of this miniseries. Which I wonder if that means we're at the... Beyond the halfway point of this episode. Hmm. Anyway, but... Actually, it's not a miniseries, is it? It's actually a uh, storyline inside of Nightwing. Sorry. But anyway, uh, the issue starts off with this kind of glory shot of... Nightwing swooping over the uh, police headquarters rooftop with the bat signal shining in the background and Commissioner Gordon pulling a gun on Nightwing. And you know what? 
that's an easy thing to believe because how many masked men, which is to say how many masked psychos does Gordon have to deal with on a daily basis? I mean, there's only two that he really trusts, Batman and Robin, neither of which Nightwing resembles very much. So his paranoia is actually pretty well to understand. From there, Dick finds a way to prove to the commissioner that they do, in fact, know each other. Um, this is just a kind of funny scene. And on the one hand, Gordon's paranoia is totally justifiable. On the other hand, when he's presented with ironclad evidence... This is just, I like the way, I, I like the, not just Dick and Gordon dynamic, I mean specifically the Nightwing and Gordon dynamic that's going on in this scene. That once, once Dick make uh, once he proves himself to Gordon, the tone of things does change. And I just, I, I dig that. And the scene ends with uh, Gordon saying, Thanks for filling me in on the staffing change, uh, changes, Nightwing. But if you'll excuse me, I'm having a late supper with my daughter. To which Nightwing replies, Maybe you'll introduce us someday, sir. She sounds like a nice girl. And Babs, having overheard the whole thing, says, Not on your life, boy wonder. Which I dig. I like that. So from there, you've got Nightwing. He's uh, bouncing all around the city and being observed by Batgirl. And this, it kind of takes us, I guess, into the meat of at least the things that are most relevant to this miniseries that I'm working through. I like the dynamic between young Batgirl and young Dick Grayson as Robin, but they're... I guess their dynamic as adults, it's different. They're not just flirting with one another. I don't want this to sound, you know, weird and creepy considering the fact that we're talking a little bit about a love story here, but there is a, there is a degree to which, again, I don't want to, I don't want to say the word sibling, but they grew up together and they, in, in, in a way, and they understand each other. And they relate to each other. I don't know. I mean, they kind of have this common background, so I don't want to... But I don't want to say that... I don't want to use, you know, brother and sister to describe their relationship, because considering what's coming later for them, that's kind of creepy. But there's a... There's a commonality between the two of them. Now, they had fundamentally different reasons for doing what they do, to begin with, and then they had different reasons for continuing to do it. So they're not exactly the same, but they, again, they do come from a, from a very similar background. You know, they have, they both have Batman as a starting point. And so because of that, they're always going to be able to relate to one another in ways that I don't know that they'd ever be able to relate to anybody else. And that's an easy thing for me to buy into. 
And so, and the, and in fact, like a, a good example of what I'm talking about is as Nightwing and Batgirl sort of speed off, you know, uh, Batgirl's driving the motorcycle, Dick Grayson's holding on for dear life, and he's got his arms wrapped around Barbara's waist, and uh, his hands, intentionally or not, are kind of drifting upward. And Batgirl says, you know, the costume may have changed, but the attitude's the same. Eternally optimistic. At least buy me some dinner before you get fresh. So, and this is just such a Gotham fucking city thing to do. I love this. They go through the drive-thru in full uniform, right? Bar, uh, Batgirl, <clears throat> she's on the bat cycle. She's passing the cashier money while Nightwing takes the, uh, um, the big belly, uh, the big belly buster, uh, sack of food. And I, God, I just, I wish we could get, it's all done, you know, uh, over the shoulder of the cashier. So I wish we could get his facial expression. I would love to know what his facial expression is. I mean, is this ever, is this like a Tuesday, just a standard Tuesday night for him? Or is this weird even for Gotham City standards? I mean, his facial expression would tell us everything, but unfortunately we don't get it. I choose to interpret this that, you know what, stuff like this happens all the time, you know? It's not unusual for people to, you know, ride around in weird, fucked up, colorful outfits. So he doesn't really think anything, you know, about it whenever, you know, uh, people wearing, you know, costumes and masks show up riding a motorcycle in his drive through window. I mean, that's, that's just another night in Gotham City. And I fucking love that. So that's how I choose to, en- to envision that he's viewing this situation. He's just got a very, very bored, very blank face expression going because, you know, this is nothing out of the ordinary for him. So actually, you know what? That probably isn't the case because it looks like he and somebody else are both hanging out the window in the next panel and staring at Nightwing and Batgirl as they zoom off into the night. So, so much for my interpretation. But anyway, uh, you get this nice little scene where Batgirl and Nightwing, they just sit around eating cheeseburgers and hot dogs and stuff, and they almost kiss. And then the subject of... (laughs) Batgirl calls her the Spice Girl, but they're really talking about Corey, and it's pretty clear that Batgirl is a little... She's a little insecure about the whole thing, you know? She calls her the tall one with the green eyes, great tan, and legs up to my chin. I'm pretty sure she wouldn't stand for you taking some other super chick to inspiration point. So maybe you and I should keep this relationship strictly business. And you can tell that... she, meaning Batgirl, isn't totally okay with that. But hey, if if uh, you know if, if if Dick's committed elsewhere, then yeah, that's a completely reasonable thing for Batgirl to ask for. So Batgirl then makes the suggestion that Dick make his name known. To they start with uh, they start with the Joker. They reach through the door and poke him in the eyes. 
And I just, I like that. And from there, let me think, what is next? Um, they pretty much completely ignore the Riddler on his way out the door. Or rather, on their way out the door. They stop by uh, the Penguin's night uh, nightclub and they, you know, pick a fight. Which, again, I could so easily picture Batgirl doing. I mean, she'd do it just for fun. I mean, everyone there is a fucking lowlife anyway. There are no innocent victims there. Be sure of that. And... I don't know. That works for me. Throwing their balls around and uh, basically intimidating intimidating the, uh, the penguin. So... And that's basically where the, uh, that's pretty much where the, where the story ends. Um, we get a final little moment in the Batcave where we see that Batman's actually been spying on, on a Batgirl and Nightwing this whole time. And I don't know. I mean, that's just the kind of, uh, paranoid, delusional, schizophrenic asshole thing I'd almost expect from this era of, uh, of, uh, Batman. But he then kind of changes the subject and says that, you know what, Jason, you're in for a final test. You need to face the gauntlet. It's nothing fancy. It's just a simple game of tag. And that pretty well leads us into... Nightwing, number 105, synopsis of which is as follows. Batman arranges for Alfred to join uh, the uh, join a, a Two-Face gang, as disguised as Two-Face, as a test for Jason. As they, as they go out for their part of the gauntlet, Two-Face which is actually Alfred in disguise, is spotted and then ordered to be turned over to Killer Croc. Dick and Barbara, meanwhile, set a date of a sort for surveillance that night, but she never shows up. Thinking that he's been stood up when he was actually set up, Nightwing encounters Robin. He follows his replacement, catches him, and then ties him up. As he tries calling Babs, Jason gets loose and sucker punches Nightwing. Batman then comes uh, to tell Nightwing and Robin to find Alfred because the gauntlet is now over. To be continued. And honestly, this is pretty much where the story has to go. You cannot tell the story of how Robin transitions over into Nightwing without putting Nightwing eventually into some kind of a con uh, into contact with Batman. So that much I get. One of the things though that I really like about this issue is the dynamic between uh, Dick and Jason. I mean, Dick doesn't completely take Jason seriously and there are times when he pays for that, but more often than not, he's just, he is annoyed, at, he's just annoyed as hell at the mere fact of Jason's existence. And it gets to the point where uh, he actually uh, ties Jason up 
And because he knows that Jason is going through the gauntlet. I mean, you know, Dick's been through this himself. He understands exactly what this is. And so, I don't know. This is just, this is just, it's a really funny scene. It's a really funny dynamic. And everything about it works for me. I like this. So, um, Jason, basically, by virtue of the fact that By virtue of the fact that Chuck Dixon knows, I mean, Jason at this point has been dead for decades almost in the comics. And so this is a time and a place in Batman's history when writers felt absolutely, positively no obligation whatsoever to write Jason in a likable or sympathetic kind of way. So when he sucker punches uh, Nightwing or he mouths off or anything like that, it's fine because we're not supposed to like him. Now, Yes, 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 Judd Winnick would eventually take a big shit all, uh, over all of that, but that's still a year or so away. So, point is, this is a time and place when, yeah, Jason's an idiot, and he's just a kind of a douchebag, but he's not supposed to be anything other than a douchebag. So, that works. So, anyway, um, Batgirl eventually gets in on gets in on all of this and this this whole thing becomes an even bigger mess when uh Bruce ends up crashing at a Dr Tom, uh Dr Leslie Tompkins uh, uh clinic because he's been f- just thoroughly fucked up and uh he needs he needs someone to get him all patched up and back to normal and Basically, the issue ends with uh, Killer Croc being unmasked as the person who has kidnapped what he thinks is Two-Face, but is in fact Alfred. So, that is pretty much that. Which leads us rather neatly into the conclusion of all this, Nightwing number 106. The synopsis of which is as follows. Bruce lies on the operating table as Jason Todd, the new Robin, and Nightwing attempt to save Alfred... From Killer Croc. As Batgirl lends a hand, Dick seems to finally come into his own as a hero. When Batman calls everyone back to the Batcave, Dick stops at home first, giving Batgirl a tape to give to the boss. In the tape, Dick explains that every son needs to leave the nest at some point, and that Bruce was the best father he could ask for, given the circumstances. The end. So, the issue begins with, as I say, Bruce on the operating table while Leslie tries like crazy to save his life. And as all that's going on, Nightwing and Robin are basically riding around atop a train and pretty much bickering with each other. Now, excuse me while I have a sip off my Coke. Anyway, they're just bickering with each other. And once again, it's clear that Nightwing is just fundamentally better at this than Robin. Um, That is to say, Jason. Now, Jason may have... Jason may have, you know, moves of his own when it comes to fights and whatnot. But fundamentally, he's just not as good at this as, 
as uh, Dick is. So, anyway. Elsewhere, Batgirl crashes uh, crashes at a Leslie Tompkins uh, clinic, and I don't know. I mean, there's just there's this desperation to uh, to Batgirl trying to trying to wake Bruce up, and I don't want to go so far as to say that Bruce is a father figure to to Babs, because but you know there is a there is a, I guess, a degree to which, I mean, he's not just a mentor. I, I don't feel comfortable calling him a father, but he's not really just a mentor either, you know? I don't know. It's this weird sort of middle ground. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to to, to Gordon, but, and so that's why I'm trying to be careful here, but I don't know. It's, they definitely, uh, Babs and Bruce definitely have their own sort of dynamic going, so... I don't know. And after all of that, you know, we get the big fiery climax, the showdown between uh, Killer Croc and Nightwing and Robin. And again, this kind of, this kind of owes back to Dick's natural tendency is to use his surroundings to his advantage or use tactics uh, to win to win fights against um, uh, foes that are just fundamentally more powerful than he is, such as Killer Croc. Now, as it happens in this case, it's actually Batgirl that saves the day. She crashes her uh, motorcycle into into a, a Killer Croc, and that's what that's what does the trick. But I don't know this whole thing, this whole little showdown. It just it. It plays for me. I mean, there's so much character. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, it's it's supposed to be just a fiery climax to the story, but there is still character that's going on here, and I I just really dig it. So, anyway, the whole gang ends up getting uh, uh, recalled to the Batcave, except Nightwing decides, you know what? I'm not going along on this one. And so... That kind of leads to the very last page of all of this, where to kind of call back to the first issue, Dick receives a brand new outfit from from Alfred. This is what you might call the Nightwing outfit phase two. And it's got those... I eventually found out that these yellow accents, that's not supposed to be trim on his outfit. Those are supposed to be, apparently feathers which i never knew so how's that for weird anyway um but that's basically where dick got that i guess that very 70s very 80s riffic nightwing outfit that he first had to begin with and teen titans i mean um yeah this is where it comes from so that that works for me it's kind of cheesy it's kind of gaudy i'm glad to see that it's gone the way of the dodo and i shall not miss it but in its place i guess it's fine especially since it doesn't really last all that long so um now i don't know if this is intentional on anybody's part or what but when jason makes the uh the delivery of the new outfit across the hall you can see that uh the apartment 
across the hall from Dick's own apartment is apartment number 106. This is issue 106, so I don't know. I just thought that was kind of weird, so whatever you think that's worth. And that's pretty much the end of end of this story. And I got to tell you, this is, again, this was a story that I didn't really read until, honestly, it was a couple of months ago, really. And I had no idea it even really existed. And not only is it a good fit for this Dick and Babs miniseries that I'm working through, you know, the evolution of them both as, as characters, but also their relationship with one another. It's, a, it's just, it's a fun little story. I love it. And I mean, I, I've talked Scott McDaniel up virtually to death in this, in, uh, in this episode, but again, it bears repeating. He really is on his A game in this, and it's this uh, just the art. Every single, every single page of every single issue, I just love it. It's uh, it, it's incredible. It's dynamic. It's engaging. It's powerful, and this story itself is just fucking incredible, and I love it. So that I think is pretty much the end of it for for Nightwing Year One. Now. As to next week, uh, what I'm going to be doing is uh, hashing through um, two final comics in this whole uh, Babs and uh, Dick miniseries that I'm working through. This is going to be Birds of Prey number eight and Nightwing Annual number two. And so that is uh, pretty much what's what's next on the, uh, the agenda from here. Then after that is going to be what it what looks to be the uh, the final entry in uh, my uh, big book report series. It's going to be the big book of freaks. At least it's scheduled to be the big book of freaks. I mean, God only knows what the future may actually bring. But at least for right now, it's scheduled to be the big book of freaks. And then after that, uh, on July the twenty sixth, episode number one hundred and fifty eight, this is going to be the uh, this is going to be part three of my. Smallville Dreaded Season 4 Retrospective. And so that's the way that things are shaping up right now. So then after that, uh, we get we get into uh, you know some other stuff that I'm not really sure if I'm quite ready to start talking about, at least quite yet. But that's definitely going to be coming in the future as I continue this, what what is quickly turning out to be like um, a year. Or actually, I guess it's, at this point, it's probably over a year worth of, you know, mini-series and uh, these sort of ongoing, uh, you know, six-part or however long-part uh, mini-series and things that I've been working for. In fact, you know what, now that I think about it, holy shit, I've been doing this for over a year now, where I have nothing but all of these non-stop series and I'm not really taking a break or anything like that. This has been pretty fucking heavy now that I think about it, but, well, anyway, whatever. So, that, I think, is pretty much that, so... My point in all of this is to say that there's uh, some interesting stuff that's coming soon. So, you know, what with the big book report and the Smallville Dreaded Season 4 retrospective, a lot of neat stuff's coming on the horizon, so just keep an ear out for that. So, anyway, I think that's pretty much it for me. So, bye, everybody. I will see you next week.
Sawete. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spaway, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way. Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. 
There you can interact with your fellow listeners, and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>